Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Lindy McDonald about reintegrating into school after a brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in the Minnesota area. They've greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in January of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And while you're at the website, be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I have co-created with Sue Wilson from CTE Hope while you're there. Today, our guest is Lindy McDonough, and Lindy attended Stevenson University and George Washington University, where she earned her degrees in therapeutic recreation and transitional services for traumatic brain injury. Lindy has been employed at Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital for 12 years and works as a senior therapeutic recreation specialist. She coordinates therapeutic recreation programs, abilities adventures, and community and school reentry programs for both inpatient and outpatient rehabilitation programs. Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital provides family-focused integrated care to children with serious chronic or complex medical needs. Since 1922, the hospital has helped children heal from illness and injury and now treats nearly 9,000 patients each year. The 102-bed hospital is a jointly owned affiliate of the University of Maryland Medical System and Johns Hopkins Medicine and has locations in Baltimore City, Prince George's County, and in the community. For more information, you can find them at mwph.org. So, Lindy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Amy. So, Lindy, I think I would love to start by having you give our listeners a little bit of your background and how you became interested in working with traumatic brain injury. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I've been working at Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital for 12 years now, and the largest population of patients within our rehabilitation program are those who have acquired a brain injury. So we see patients who have had strokes, we see patients who've had tumors, traumatic brain injuries, anoxic brain injuries. Um, so as soon as I started working here, I really developed a strong interest in that diagnosis, and I just felt like there was so much to learn, and there were so many 
resources that we could amp up and try to provide for this population. Um, and then I went back to grad school at George Washington University. Um, and in addition to going to grad school, I, I found a program there where I could actually get a graduate certificate um, in transitional school services for individuals who had sustained a brain injury. Um, and I, I learned so much in that program um, and have tried to bring that to Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital. And we've since, um, you know, in the past... I'd say at least 10 years, we've really grown all of our rehabilitation programs here in order to best accommodate um, all of our populations. Um, we started an outpatient brain injury clinic that has really flourished and has allowed us to provide a great number of resources for our patients once they've been discharged because we found a great need there. Um, so, you know, I, I think my interest started um, with my career here at Mount Washington and has just grown, um, and, and there is such a great need, and it's such a unique diagnosis that there's there's constantly room to learn and grow in the field. Mm-hmm. And so I had the opportunity to visit you guys back in September um, when I was in Baltimore, and I was just so impressed with the staff's knowledge on brain injury. Um, because, you know, unfortunately, myself and many others have had not so educated doctors and um, healthcare providers sure. with, uh, working with us. And so it was just so wonderful to see people who truly understand it and get it and know how to help these young children. And I'm just, I'm so happy to see hospitals like yours. And I know there's many others that are just as wonderful, um, but it was really great to get to see that firsthand. And I know um, that somebody had mentioned to me, you know, that that care doesn't end when they leave the hospital. You know, you guys continue to follow up with your patients even after they've been discharged. Um, and I just, I think that's just such a great great concept because that that is not necessarily widespread <laughs> um so sure. i think that's a really great way that you guys work with your patients well thank you i i would agree i think we have a great team here um it's very collaborative and we look at the whole individual um, as well as their family and the resources they have in their community and develop a plan of care for them that will best fit all of their needs and and you're right we really look at that continuum of care so we follow these patients um, for five plus years after discharge to ensure that they have everything they need. Because, as we know, um, you know sometimes the effects of brain injury don't manifest themselves until years after the injury happened. So it's important that we follow through with these patients and their families. Absolutely. So I know one area that you. Um, handle at the hospital is helping a patient reintegrate back into school um, as well as the community as well. Um, and I, when you were explaining this to me when I was there, I was like, okay, we need to talk about this because this is really, really <laughs> cool. Um, so you are the one that works to get the child back into school. And um, I think I'm just going to let you kind of explain it all because I don't want to give it away before you talk about it. So tell us a little bit about how that works when your patient is getting ready to be discharged um, and ready to go back to school. Sure. Um, well, the school preparation, quite honestly, actually starts at the day of admission, um, and it really amps up as discharge approaches. But at day of admission, we 
um, we certainly don't want to overwhelm the patient and their family, but we're already looking at what we can do to make sure that their transition home into the community is a smooth one, even if that transition home may not take place for several months. Um, so we work together as an entire team, you know, nurses, doctors, therapists, everybody is involved, and we all provide input based on what we feel the child um, and their family may need. And then as the child progresses, um, we discuss their needs each week. Um, we look at their progress. And then as discharge approaches, um, we begin communication with the school, typically um, when discussing, you know, their school reentry, we typically start that discussion about a month prior to discharge. And we speak to all school personnel that we feel would best to be involved. Um, you know, sometimes um, we need adaptive physical education teachers involved. Sometimes we just need a special educator. Um, the school vice principal generally coordinates a child's transition back to school and coordinates IEP meetings. So that is generally our point person to begin with. And then from there, we ensure that we speak to all personnel as appropriate. Um, sometimes the schools want to hold meetings, which we may be a part of, even if that's just by phone. Um, and we can often, you know, send reports as to how the child's doing, um, let the school know, you know, here's how they're functioning in occupational therapy, for example. Um, but our, our main goal is really to ensure that the child feels comfortable with transitioning back to school. So the logistical pieces of ensuring that the school is prepared for them, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally is some of it. But we also want to make sure that the child transitions back to school comfortably. Um, we know that, you know, this disability has happened suddenly um, and very traumatically. So a child transitioning back to school after a brain injury is much different than anything else or any other disability. Um, we start working with the child at this point as well to prepare the child for this return to school. So one month prior to discharge, we, we start doing some role play with the child um, to work on, you know, how it may feel to be in a big classroom again, um, to answer questions that they may receive from their peers. Um, once we have sort of established how the child feels, how the family feels, once we get the ball rolling with all school personnel, then we'll sort of set up a plan of action from there. Um, oftentimes, as you mentioned, we will actually go into the schools, and we like to do this before the child's first day back. Um, so it may be a week or so before, and we take the child into the school, and we have a variety of options. You know, some children and their families just want to practice being in, to, in the school, practice using their locker again, maybe using the elevator, finding their classes so that the first day of school isn't as nerve-wracking. Um, sometimes we may meet with classroom teachers or an occupational therapist at the school to ensure that they understand our plan of care and that they can tr transition the child smoothly into their plan of care. And then another option would be to actually do a presentation of sorts to the children's peers or to their classmates. Um, and that often helps alleviate um, a lot of the fears that the children may have. So if a child, for example, has a brain injury or any physical impairments, we might go into their class. Depending on the ages of their classmates, we may go in and um, 
give a brief synopsis of what their hospitalization was like, especially for young children. We won't, we don't want anything to come across as scary. We want to let them know that the hospital is a nurturing environment, that the, that their peer did fun things here at the hospital. So we'll show pictures of the hospitalized child with their favorite nurse or, you know, doing a fun activity outside or maybe on a field trip. Um, and then we'll go into sort of explaining how the child was injured and how they're functioning now in a way by which the child and their family and the school are all comfortable. So these are things that we prepare ahead of time. Um, but generally speaking, this process really um, allows the class to feel more accepting and comfortable with their peers' return, but also allows the child returning to school um, to sort of lower their anxiety level and feel like they can just be a student again. Yeah, and I think that's so great that you will go in and actually talk to the classmates because, you know, oftentimes with a brain injury, there might be impairments such as like memory or processing speed or aphasia. And, you know, especially kids, they don't understand. Um, and so sure. I think it's great that you go in and try to help them understand um, what they've been through and what they might be like now. Yeah, and this is, you know, I know not all hospitals have um, personnel that can go in. Um, at Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital, we're, we're very fortunate um, to be able to have staff that can play these roles. Um, sometimes our therapists join us, sometimes nurses join us. Um, but either way, it's it's something that I hope that all people will consider, even if it's just a parent that may play this role. Yeah. Um, and and we, we like to make the transition fun. You know, we'll play games with the class and discuss similarities and differences between all different kinds of people. We'll talk about myths as they relate to the hospital or myths about brain injury. Um, we always create visuals, whether we use puppets or dolls or bring in rehab equipment. Um, so we want to really personalize it. It's not a PowerPoint presentation. It's really for the sole purpose of comfort. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think it helps the patient feel a little more comfortable and confident you know, going back into the classroom. Because I can see where it would be completely overwhelming and scary to be going back to school, um, you know, especially if they're suffering from, like, overstimulation issues or light sensitivity. And, and you know, you don't want to feel afraid to ask your teacher that you need to take a break or something. Um, but it's important that they know that they can and that the teacher will embrace that. Yes. And and we've also, because we um, are fortunate enough to follow our patients for a long period of time, um, this doesn't necessarily have to take place as soon as the child is discharged from our facility. Um, we've had patients who may have sustained a brain injury at five, six, seven years old, um, and their elementary school was very accommodating and very supportive of their needs. Um, and, and that is... A more natural environment, you know, the child is not switching classes during the day and they're in one set class all day, but then all of a sudden we hear from the parent when the child goes to sixth grade or, or middle school that um, now they're having big time challenges because there are more responsibilities put on them. So um, we are happy to jump in at, at every stage of life and, and every challenge that they may encounter to to help out. It doesn't just have to be at discharge. 
Oh, and that's fabulous because, you know, that brings up a really good point. You know, if the child is younger and then that transition to middle school, I mean, that transition's hard in general for a healthy mm-hmm. child. Um, and then to throw a brain injury on top of that, now suddenly you have to navigate the hallways and know where you're going and remember a locker combination. And, yeah, I can see yeah. that really, really stressful to make that transition. Mm-hmm. And and what we have found is um, for brain injuries in particular, the schools have been very receptive. Um, they've welcomed us. They have really appreciated all of our services. Um, we've found that, you know, many education professionals may not realize some of the difficulties that can be caused by a brain injury. Um, and we've seen instances where students with TBI were thought to have a learning disability or emotional disturbance and were sort of labeled incorrectly, whether formally or informally. Um, And when we've intervened or provided the school with resources, they've always been, uh, it's always been very well received. I'm curious, um, do you, let's say you have a little bit older child, you have a teenager who has a job. Do you do any sort of integration with their um, place of employment? We have. Um, It's certainly not as common as um, the role that we play with the schools, but we certainly have. um, We have quite a few staff members in our rehab department who have a background in vocational training and job skills training. So, um, our team approach works really well. Uh, we have a program that we run here called Return to You, um, and it's part of our uh, transitional brain injury program. But we have um, staff in that program that work primarily with um, teenagers and young adults into that transition into the community. And so a big portion of that um, has to do with job skills training um, and getting people back out into the community and in all facets, whether it be recreation or volunteering. Um, so we try to look at that big picture. Yeah, and I think that's just that's just so fabulous that you guys do that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about return to learn and academic accommodations. Um, sure. You know, unfortunately, I hear from a lot of parents <laughs> who are frustrated because schools aren't necessarily giving their child the accommodations that they need. Um, You know, a lot of the accommodations that are set up are more for physical limitations, Um, not so much mental, you know what I mean, as far as Mm -hmm. maybe a child can't take a test, it's too much work, or they need longer time to take the test, or they have to be able to go take a nap in the middle of the day. You know, there's so many variables with brain injury, no two present the same way. And so no two kids might need the same accommodations. So how do you guys handle that? I mean, it sounds like you guys have had really great successes with the schools you've worked with. Um, But, you know, what advice might you give a parent who is having challenges? So when our neuropsychologists do testing here, they provide our families with a whole slew of recommendations, and those recommendations aren't just limited to those concrete things like um, their physical needs or their test taking. They look um, at everything, you know, their emotional needs, um, and so they they can look at all of the data that they obtained from hours and hours worth of 
um, cognitive tests and mental challenges in order to make these recommendations. Um, so the first step is, you know, I would say, you know, data can go a really long way. So one recommendation I have to parents is talk to your neuropsychologist, get that testing done at a hospital so that you, you have a, a way to substantiate your needs and, and back them up. Um, the second thing I would suggest is, you know, to provide the school with resources. Um, you know, many schools that we've worked with have never had a child with a brain injury, and it certainly doesn't mean that the school personnel are uneducated or ignorant. It it just means that it it's not common everywhere, and um, and and often when we provide schools with resources, whether it be the Brain Injury Association or the CDC. Um, there's a brain resource and information network that has a lot of information for educators. Um, the schools are, are often very receptive to that. Um, and, you know, when we go into schools, when we refer parents to schools, the, the biggest message that we want to send to everyone is that there's, there's a lot of gray area here. And I think most of us probably work best off of having more concrete data, but, but the reality is someone with a brain injury is ever-changing and their needs are ever-changing and every child is unique, um, every brain injury is unique. Um, so I think if the team can go in with, with an open mind in understanding that um, some approaches may just be trial and error and that the child you know will change on a day-to-day -day basis, that especially in the beginning, that that tends to alleviate some of the, the bigger problems surfacing. Yeah, and I know we're going to have Dr. Cleary on in a few weeks, who is a neuropsychologist yeah. at Mount Washington. Um, mm -hmm. And I know, you know, he kind of was telling me, you know, like no no two kids are the same, right? Like no two accommodations are going to be the same. Um, but it's really, you know, you have to educate the school, like whether it's the principal or the teacher or whoever it is and, and just helping them understand, you know, like you don't necessarily have to take a hundred question tests <laughs> to prove that you know the material. You might be able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that child to have them, you know, verbally tell you what they've learned. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting way of explaining how you could accommodate that, you know, like a child might not be able to sit down and, read and comprehend those questions on the test, but that does not mean that they don't understand the material, you know, and I think that's what's so misunderstood with brain injury is, you know, like we might have trouble reading or concentrating or remembering what we read, but yet mm -hmm. we know the material that, that has been taught. So, um, yeah, there's so many variables when it comes to TBI. And I can see where that gets to be challenging for school. But, um, you know, having people like you who are able to really speak on behalf of the patient, I think that's just such a valuable um, service that you guys provide for your patients. And I just I think it's so great that you guys do this. Thank you. Uh, one other tip that we often give to families and our patients um, is just to become familiar with their own strengths and weaknesses. So, so when our patients are here, from day one, um, we try to teach them to advocate for themselves, to learn 
what may be challenging for them and how to express that to people and, you know, what might be not so challenging for them. Um, and we work with them here on in an environment that really mimics what their community and home environments will look like so that they can learn to identify what modalities they learn best in. Um, like you mentioned, do they do better when they hear something, when they read it, um, when other people read it to them? Um, you know, we work a lot on finding ways to keep track of things that work best for them, um, whether it's assistive technology. And, and so we try to prepare them with all, all of those skills while they're here and then continue with working on those skills while they come to us in outpatient so that there is some carryover when they go home. Um, but, you know, that's the most important tool. We, we can always educate people, but, you know, you might educate your school and then the next year you transition to a new school or you start – Boy yeah. Scouts or, you know, you transition into a new period of your life. And so I, I think the one of the most important things is to just become familiar with yourself and learn to advocate for yourself. Yeah, and, yeah, I think those are all great tips. And, you know, especially the advocating for yourself. If you are having trouble, like, if the light is bothering you, you know, asking if you can put your sunglasses on or, you know, whatever a simple coping skill might be, you know, and it is, it's being able to ask and let someone know that you are struggling. I think that's a huge first step um, for a lot of patients. Yeah. So Lindy, we have about five minutes left and I want to make sure that we talk about your abilities adventures. Um, I know you were one of the very critical, um, players who got the ability of adventure started at your hospital. Um, so I'd like for you just to kind of give us a brief synopsis of what it is and um, how it's going for you guys. Sure. Um, so we started a program here a little over a year ago called Abilities Adventures, and it really was fostered um, by our, you know, brain injury team here um, and our, our collaborative unit that really works on successfully ensuring that um, our patients who've sustained any kind of traumatic brain injury are able to really function well in their communities. And what we found was, um, you know, many of our patients who had sustained a trauma, so, you know, that could be someone with an acquired brain injury, but it may also be someone who has an amputation or a spinal cord injury, that these patients did really, really well in our program here and were, were functional in their communities. Um, but we found through some of our assessments that we completed on them in our outpatient environment that many of them struggled um, with things like social, social isolation, PTSD, weight gain, um, several years after sustaining their injury. So a good portion of our patients were now walking and talking and um, leading independent lives, going to school, but there was still that social piece that was missing. And so we wanted to find a way by which to um, connect them to one another so that they didn't feel so isolated, to get them more involved in their communities and allow them to recreate and find ways to safely express themselves. Um, so we created a program called Abilities Adventures, um, and the program is multifaceted, but it essentially works with teenagers and young adults um, to get them into their communities. It focuses mostly on recreation and adaptive sports. Um, so we do a variety of different events, and we work with the individuals, but we also incorporate their siblings and families 
um, to teach the whole family how they can safely recreate, recreate and adapt activities to fit their needs so that they don't, um, you know, lead sedentary lifestyles and kind of fall through the cracks. Um, so we've done quite a few local events, um, adaptive water skiing and rock climbing, um, and we've actually taken groups of patients as well to the National Ability Center in Park City, Utah, um, where it's it's been sort of a retreat format, and we've worked on you know learning how to travel with a disability, and of course engaged our athletes in a wide variety of adaptive activities. And it looks like they have so much fun. <laughs> they do. It's it's really beautiful because as professionals that work with these individuals, we can all see their potential and we know that they're capable of so much, but so many of them don't see it in themselves. And it's, it's a natural challenge because they're, they're not the same person that they used to be. Um, and so to see them engage in these activities and learn to rely on each other and trust themselves and to take risks, um, is is really quite incredible and you know they're at that age where they sh- they should be finding themselves and learning those skills and so we've seen kids go through our program and and now have the confidence to learn how to ride the city bus in their wheelchair in order to go to community college or um you know yeah. make a new friend um you know t- take more risks it's pretty awesome, and it was very cool to hear some of their experiences. Um, so, Lindy, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you again for being here and sharing with our listeners. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us, Amy. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you really enjoyed today's show. And, again, be sure to visit facesoftbi.com, and you can access any and just check out what else we got going on. So I will see you guys all again next time. Thank you for being a part of my journey and have a great day, everyone.